Well, welcome to Wormhole. This is a podcast where we talk about some Wikipedia articles. And we do some deep dives. We do some deep dives. Jump into them. And today we have a theme. We have a theme just like last time. But it's not the same theme as last time. It's today more. the theme is hoaxes. Hoaxes. Silly little haha pranks, funny what's, goofs. What's the definition of a hoax? I would say it's like a serious prank. <laughs> just a lie. Big big boy lie. You look down, it says big boy lie. Okay, what's the definition <laughs> of hoax? Okay, hoax. A humorous or malicious deception. Okay, a lie. A big boy lie. Big boy lie. It could have, it basically said big boy lie. Yeah. Okay, so if we're talking about hoaxes. Can I just say? Yeah. I think we need to tell this story, Toby. What story? Um, so I went to a family function over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And at the family function, we had two big bottles of wine. <laughs> Um, because someone thought, oh, it's my family. We should bring two big bottles of wine. But it was the wrong side of the family. It was my mom's side of the family. So I came home with a big bottle of wine. Great. Are you going to make fun of me for this? I'm going to make fun of both of us. Okay. I came home with this big bottle of wine. I was like, wow, I'm going to have a little glass of wine. I'm going to be so happy. We are used to boxed wine. We're used to boxed wine and like screw tops. Yeah. And this one has a cork. We're used to poor person wine. It's not It's not even, like, fancy wine. It's barefoot. I would say at that size, it is fancy. Per- it's because it's more expensive. It's barefoot. So, yeah, we have this big bottle of wine. We're like, great. We have some wine to podcast with because... We, we need we need a little a little bit of a fun fun drink, a yeah. silly drink. So we go to open it, and like Toby had told me that we have this bottle opener, we don't. I thought we did because our third roommate Sarah, God bless her soul, has brought two air fryers, a mixer, like yeah. so many cooking implements that I was like, of course she brought a wine opener. Yeah. It's Sarah. I also, I, I believed you. I just thought like, oh, it's, a, it's in a different drawer that I'm not looking I at. Thought I thought I saw think... one, but I was wrong. Yeah. And then I said, I looked up some quick hacks before we were recording. <laughs> some five minute crafts. Some five minute crafts, <laughs> totally not on BuzzFeed.com. And I saw, oh, you put a, you screw a screw into the cork and then you take a hammer and you pull it out and the, the screw will pull out the cork. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. That's mm-hmm. a smart idea. And I did it and it didn't work. So, long story short, we're drinking vodka and lemonade. Clink, clink, clink Oh, for the clink. audio? There yeah. we go. Clean. Okay. So, on today's episode... Yeah, what article did you do? We're crashing a plane. I've already... Oh, wait. ...taken yeah. down the electronic signals from the plane. And, oh, what's that in the sky? Ray, look up. Ray, look up. Look, look, look. Chemtrails. Oh, uh, no. No. <laughs> next, next to the chemtrails, right? There's a plane and it's crashing. Oh, God. Oh, there it goes. Well, it's out of sight, out of mind. Oh my gosh. It crashed right into a train. What? Oh, shit. That's the sound of the train. (laughs) Thomas, no. Oh, the train crash. I love our podcast. Yeah, we're just playing with dolls in our mind. (laughs) That's what I do with the clips. (laughs) You just... 
I if you listen to us but you don't go on our TikTok or whatever, please at least just like look at the videos because Ray puts a lot of effort into essentially cutting JPEGs out like paper dolls and then mushing them into each other <laughs> like toys using my <laughs> glorious voice and for mine. the for the backtrack of your sins. Yeah. <laughs> The, the the man with the many hands at smoking and walking a dog and <laughs> lighting good. a match. That was good. That one took me hours. <laughs> it was great. After that one, I was like, I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> the recent one was great. The, I had fun with that one. Yeah. Okay. Except the, the, t- the lion is a tiger. We don't talk about it. Okay. Okay. So today we're talking about hoaxes. And the hoax you assigned me, Toby. Yeah. Is um a book. Yeah. And at first when you assigned me a book, I was like, hmm, a book. That's interesting. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, a book. That's interesting. Yeah. And so this book is called Atlanta Nights. Yeah. And um, before we talk about this book, let's talk about Publish America. Yes. And Publish America is a company that's still around. Mm -hmm. They have advertised themselves in the past as kind of a highbrow publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, They deny a lot of works. They um, have like a high standard for what they publish. I'm sure. Definitely. They promised the authors that signed on with them high sales. They said that they would take care of all the editing and distributing and everything that goes with like making a book. Mm -hmm. And they were known to scam authors. Yeah. Yeah. And so they charged authors, like, these big exorbitant fees to edit, distribute, and advertise their books when they didn't actually do that. So they made most of their money off of the authors that they signed with by charging them these fees and not actually following through with the the promises they made. Yeah. Um, So would they not actually publish or would they just... They would publish. They just wouldn't edit? They just... Like, they promise, they would say, like, oh, we're going to distribute these to bookstores. We're going to market this for you. We're also going to edit it so it's better. It's a better book. Oh. They didn't do any of that. Yeah. A lot of established authors knew that, that, like, they were up to their tricks. Mm -hmm. But, like, authors that were just starting out were like, wow, a publisher finally took my piece. That's so shitty. And then they ended up paying like thousands of dollars for selling and marketing. They told them they'd make it all back in sales. Mm -hmm. But the publisher didn't focus on sales. It focused on getting money from the authors. Yeah. So that's shitty. Yeah, that is shitty. Real shitty. Predatory. Yeah. They, this isn't the hoax though. No, it's not. (laughs) Um, so they published an article on their website one day. In the early 2000s, imagine early 2000s website. I'm closing my eyes, I can imagine A it. beautiful landscape on your screen that we've talked about before in this podcast. Yeah, bliss. Um, <laughs> it's crispy. There's JPEGs everywhere with white backgrounds, white yes. square backgrounds, and a colored background of a website. Yes. Aerial font. The text is neon. Text is neon. It hurts your eyes to look yes. at. Yes. And... Um, This article that they published, there's a dog running around upstairs, was about how science fiction is not a good genre. It's easy to write, and it's just for authors to make a quick book, and they would never publish something so low down. Really? They said that? I don't think, I don't know if they said that they would never publish it, but they definitely, like, were like, this isn't up to our standard. That sucks. So, these established authors 
who saw this and knew that this publisher was a scam thing. Allegedly, they're a scam thing. I don't, I don't know. know. I feel, feel like they're still proofs. a company. They so, are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Allegedly, this podcast, the views of the podcast, I legally, please don't sue us. <laughs> We're just little guys. <laughs> We're just little guys running around. Um, so this group of, like, established authors saw this and kind of took it as a challenge. Mm -hmm. They were like, okay, let's see just what we can publish here. And so they wrote Atlanta Nights. Yeah. And Atlanta Nights is a book that was written to be intentionally bad. Yeah. Um, with around 40 different like notable authors that wrote it. Wow. Um, every chapter was written by a different author, and between chapters, they communicated as little as they could. That's excellent. I love that. So it's literally like, have you ever played the one-word story game? Yeah. It's kind of like that, but like a whole fucking book. That's so fun. Yeah. The things that were in this book, they had grammatical errors. Um, they had complete passages that were just nonsense. Um, they there was like a lack of a coherent plot because they didn't communicate between chapters, so it was just crazy. Um, there were two chapters that were identical; they were just the same chapter, oh copy and pasted. Um, there were two chapters with the same chapter number. Mm-hmm. They also had a chapter that was AI generated, and mind you, this is two thousand and four AI. Oh no, so bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, AI now, if you told it to write a chapter is bad, imagine 2004. Oof. And in the middle of the book, it's revealed that the whole plot of the book is a dream, but then it just keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, the plot of the book, which is really hard to put together, is basically there's this guy. His name is Bruce Lucian, and he's a software developer, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't read the book. I've only read, like, little synopses. But apparently kills this businessman um, named Henry Archer in, like, a car crash. Like, he hits him with his car. Mm-hmm. And Bruce, like, he felt real bad. And, like, what would you do if you hit someone with your car and you felt real bad about Call it? Call the police. Call an ambulance. Yeah. This guy, he thinks, what do I do to make up with it for it? And so he sleeps with this man's wife. That's what he would have wanted. So, yeah, he starts, like, dating and sleeping with this man who he killed's wife mm-hmm. in order to, like, make up for it, I guess. Console her? I guess. Or maybe so she's not, like, a widow? Lonely. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's strange. And there's also, like, a detective detectiving around, but I don't think he does. I did skim one chapter of this book. It was chapter two. And what happened in this chapter was, like, there were these two women sitting mm-hmm. at the table. They were at, like, this fancy restaurant. And they were talking about, like, oh, your husband got hit by a car. That's so sad. We, we need to have a serious, serious talk about this. Mm-hmm. And the other person was like, yes, we do need to have a serious, serious talk about it. And that starts to drink very heavily. And then, like, their, like, boyfriends come in the room, I think. And they just all, like, start, like, talking and being drunk and then like the lady leaves and she's like i'm so glad i had this serious serious talk with my bestie (laughs) (laughs) and don't reel the room writing (laughs) yeah it's not it's honestly like funny man there was a list of quotes from the book and Mm -hmm. one really jumped out at me what was it um so it is as he held those big jiggle breasts (laughs) (laughs) 
continue. Okay. As he held those big jiggle breasts. Mm-hmm. I'm steepling my hands. As he held those big jiggle breasts so close to him, he whispered into her ear, I love those big old j- bajubby jubblies. <laughs> my god. <laughs> oh my god. Peak writing. Is that the whole quote? Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. I don't know any context, but I think it's the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> so, yeah. Obviously, this is a really good book. Yeah. And Publish America offered a contract to publish. And this is not the first time that they accepted, like, a hoax book. They also accepted a book that was the same 30 pages repeated 10 times. Wow. Yeah. So the authors decided not to sign the contract because all of their lawyers were like, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, my God. Um, so they decided to um, publish it with a print-on-demand company, and all of the proceeds went to the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America Emergency Medical Fund. Oh, that's is, great. Yeah. And um, since then, Publish America, their name was kind of, I don't know. Sullied a bit. Sullied a little bit. And so they waited a little bit. And then they changed their name to America Star Books. And now they advertise themselves as a print-on-demand company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So don't print your book with them. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least they're advertising as what they are now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Allegedly. Um, Man. Yeah. So there were also rumors that Atlanta Nights would be made into a movie in 2011, but it never happened, I don't think. Oh my god, that'd be excellent. Yeah. Fever dream movie. Fever dream movie. I would love to see it. Um, There was another hoax book that Atlanta Nights was inspired by. Mm Mm-hmm. And this one actually did have a movie made about it. Yeah. We should watch it. Oh, no. Okay, the look you're giving me. So, (laughs) this book that inspired Lantern Nights was called Naked Came the Stranger. Uh And it was written by 24 journalists who were upset that um, American literature had become, like, too vulgar, too sexy. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. And the theory was that any book could succeed if it had enough sex in it. Untrue, but... Yeah. I kind of had, like, two ideas about this. Like, on one hand, like, people like porn. Get over it. Yeah. I'm, like... Yeah. You're just mad that your wife is reading porn. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and on the other hand, like, I have read a Stephen King book. Yeah. <laughs> I I definitely think there's a difference between, like sex cells and exploitation cells because yeah. a lot of like i would say like 99 percent of stephen king's like sexy scenes are they're not sexy they're not but he wants them to be but they're like but it's like i don't know it's like te- they're terrible and it's yeah. all exploitive so i think there's like categories of uh explicit work you know yeah yeah also my condolences that you read a stephen king book yeah, it was. I've told you about it. You it was have, bad. yeah. These 24 journalists wrote a book in a very similar way. Um, all of the authors wrote a different chapter. And they got their little sex book published in the sexy, sexy year of 1969. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course it was the <laughs> 60s, yeah. And I have a little synopsis of the book mm-hmm. here. 
So Gillian and William Blake are the hosts of a popular New York City breakfast radio chat show where they play the perfect couple. But then Gillian finds out that her husband is having an affair. Oh no. And so she decides to get back at him and cheat on him with a variety of men from their Long Island neighborhood. Most of the book is taken up by vignettes describing Gilly's adventures with a variety of men from a progressive rabbi to a mobster. Wow. Yeah. As you can tell, the people who wrote this book, it was like 19 men and 5 women. Yikes. Yeah. So they got it published. And the publisher, like, stole the cover image from a magazine. It was not their image. Oh, no. They kind of just took image of sexy woman, put it on cover. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, copyright? What's that? <laughs> as wow. a publisher. Yeah, as a publisher. Yeah. Great. So that's fun. But, yeah, the writers went public with it, though, the same year it was published. So the kind of experiment that they were planning didn't really even have a chance to work because they already they like called themselves out yeah so they were like oh yeah if we write this book with lots of sex in it everybody's gonna want to buy it and then like as soon as it comes out they're like actually guys we wrote it so that you guys would see how sex obsessed you are and like you just came out with the book they sound like a bunch of lame narcs that (laughs) suck at their jobs like i hate porn I hate porn, so I'm going to write some porn and then tell people that porn is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a New York Times bestseller, but like also it could just be that like the publicity of the hoax. Yeah, for Um, sure. Also probably kind of skewing their numbers so it looks like they succeed by saying it's it's experiment, right? Yeah. Like they'll look like they're more successful if they say it. Yeah. So that's that's a silly silly little thing that mm-hmm. happened. There was a film made of it in 1975. That's why I said we probably wouldn't want to watch it because it's probably just a lot of porn, porn. Yeah, 1975 porn. So like a lot of mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get out of it. <laughs> just the gross men with mustaches. Yeah. And I was looking into these literary hoaxes now and Mm -hmm. i saw another one of a book that wasn't written um so there was another hoax in 1956 i'm kind of going back in time with each step here um so a late night radio host called jean shepherd was annoyed by the requirements for bestseller lists because the way that bestseller lists worked was that either it was book sales or it was people requesting the books from bookstores I see where this is going. Yeah. Even now, though, I've heard, like, some scandals with, like, the New York Times bestsellers of, like, if you have enough money to buy your own book a lot of times, you can get on the bestseller list. every book in a bookstore has the New York Times bestseller thing on it, right? Yeah. It doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's good for marketing. That's it. Yeah. But, yeah, this guy was upset with it. And so he said... On his radio show, he was like, you know what? I'm going to make up a book. And everybody, you need to request it at your bookstores. He told his listeners to ask for I, Libertine. It was the name of the novel. It was a fake novel. And he also included a fake author and a description of what the plot would be. So it would be believable when people go into this bookstore. They go, I want I, want I Libertine. It's about this guy who uh-huh. does this thing. Yeah. So it worked. It became a New York Times bestseller. Oh, my God. 
And so then, and also somehow was banned in Boston <laughs> before it was written. It wasn't even a book. Yeah, it wasn't a book yet. Yet. Oh. And this guy, he was like, holy shit. Now I've got to commit to the bit. And he writes the book. He hired somebody to write the book oh. who wrote it in one sitting. So it was good. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. I think that's crazy. Is the book good? I haven't read it. Uh, there's reviews. I can look. I can look. It's just like a number of stars on Goodreads or whatever. It has four stars on Amazon. Three and like a quarter stars on Goodreads. Not terrible. Okay. Go live libertine. Three out of five on Apple Books. Not bad. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I think that's crazy. Yeah. Back then you could just be like, hey, go to the store and ask for this book. I think you could probably still do that. That sounds like a TikTok thing. I don't know. I feel like they've probably changed the like requirements. I think it's, I think it's based on just like sales now. I, or yeah. like pre-orders. That makes sense. But I do think it would be funny if somebody wrote like, or maybe it was just like a journal, like a fucking lined paper yeah. journal and you gave it like a title of like, yeah. cool journal, yeah. .jpg. Yeah. And um, somebody with a lot of followers just like, pre-order my journal and then like lined journal is on the bestseller list. Gabby Hannah. Did she do that? Well, her poetry book was bad, and it was, she... I mean, she it, actually wrote it, though. That was an actual book. I guess. She, she believed it was an actual book. Okay. Good. I wouldn't say that's a hoax. It's definitely not a hoax, but it does have the vibe of, like, she... I don't know if you've seen all the pages, but some of them is, like, she definitely had to fill the pages. Yeah. But, yeah. That's my little stories about some literary hoaxes throughout the ages. That is so fun. I didn't yeah. know that there were that many. There's more. There's yeah, definitely more. That um, makes sense. I think these ones are just like really notable ones. If we get a thousand subscribers on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> we will make a book hoax. This is, listener, this is my, this is my pledge to you, dear listener. A thousand ratings and we make a book hoax. Oh my god. A thousand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I promise. We will publish a weird book. We will. So you're doing the middle section today. Oh yeah, I am. I think you are. So we were sitting around, we were like, what the fuck do we do for our middle section? We both didn't really have many ideas. And we literally decided right when we sat down here. Yeah. I was looking through. I have like a list of weird Wikipedia articles. Sometimes it's like that. Yeah. (laughs) And so this weird Wikipedia article that is in my little list is a toilet meal. Yeah. So you said this earlier. And I said toilet meal. And you said, yeah. And I said, what is a toilet meal? And you just looked at me. And I said, like, you eat on the toilet. And you just kind of looked at me again and blinked. You're shrugging, you're nodding your head. I you mean, need it's to... kind of it's kind of just eating a meal on the toilet, yeah. So you have a sister. I do. And your sister eats meal, full meals in the shower. She does. Like Taco Bell. Yeah. Wet-ass tacos. She drinks coffee in the shower like Terrible. every morning. I don't know how she how does How big it. is her shower that she can have a space where it's not getting soaked by the shower head? I think it's like a normal like tub shower impossible she's 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 either not eating in the shower or she's having a terrible food shower experience i think she's pulling some maneuvers i think she's got some skills 
There was a thing on the internet for a while where if you ate an orange in the in a hot shower, it was like an out of body experience. Like a, I can see that because the heat makes like the orange more fragrant, and then mm-hmm. you're just in like a wonderful smelling steamy shower. I don't get the appeal of toilet meal. Well, so toilet meal. This is specifically about um, toilet meal as a Japanese slang term, referring to eating a meal in like a toilet room. So this is done for a lot of reasons. The most common reason is kind of the fear of being seen eating alone. Ooh, um, that's so sad. Yeah. So people are just really embarrassed like to be seen eating without people around them. So they go and they eat in the bathroom. That's really sad. Yeah. Man, it's okay to eat alone. Yeah. Normalize eating alone in Japan. Yeah. Honestly, normalize eating alone, end of sentence. Yeah. I had a stork. A stork? <laughs> you had a stork? <laughs> I said stork. I what had is, a, what a does sh- that mean? I, nothing. It's a nonsense. <laughs> I had a short stint as a teacher for like a month. And I told my students, they were like, where do you go for lunch? And I was like, I go onto the second floor of the Panera Bread. And I order food and i eat alone and i watch youtube on my phone in a corner in the dark and they're like that's the saddest thing i've ever heard and i was like that is my joy that's my bliss that's my sunshine i don't know during a long shift at work going into my car and watching netflix while eating a sandwich is kind of the best eating alone is so good (laughs) it's just you're like you could be as messy as you want you don't have to worry about like eating daintily in front of people but only if you're yeah only if you're not in front of people and i think that's why people like go to like a secluded place like a toilet yeah i think you should be able to eat alone in a restaurant or whatever yeah but it is kind of like scary though like going into a restaurant it could be a magical experience yeah Toilet meals um, were initially regarded as, like, an urban legend. Um, (laughs) Sorry. In America, we have Bigfoot. In Japan, they have eating a sandwich in a bathroom. (laughs) Um, So I guess it's just, like, the people that do eat toilet meals just don't have many friends, so they don't talk about it. And the people who don't eat toilet meals don't. Further from there, they've discovered... People eat toilet meals. It's a thing that happens. As we discussed, like, your sister. My sister eats shower meals. And that's not because she's lonely. It's because she's she wants to eat while showering. It's just just take the time to treat yourself to the time it takes. She enjoys it. For a shower and a breakfast. At the same time. She enjoys it. She enjoys it. It's not like I need to save as much time as possible thing. It might be a little bit. I feel like she's she, also she also like brushes her teeth in the shower. There's like different diagrams on this Wikipedia page of like the ways to eat a toilet meal. Oh no. The first one is like what you'd expect, like just sitting on the toilet meal on your lap. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of a toilet meal. That makes sense. The second one is um crouching on the floor and using the toilet lid as like a table. Don't like that. That's unsanitary. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. That's unsanitary. But you do get a little table. And I do like a little table. Uh-huh. And then there's also, like, just standing above it and eating your meal, which I, I feel like would be, like, a really fast, like, get your sandwich and go. Yeah. I just, 
I can just imagine, like, you order food at a restaurant or whatever, or at work, and you go into the bathroom and you're standing in the middle of the room just eating what like a bento because it's japan yeah you're just standing in the middle of the room just shoveling like food into your face that is sad (laughs) i'm so sorry if that's your life experience yeah and i think this is normally done with like food you bring from home because another another reason it mentions it is like to save money for Mm -hmm. like not going out alone because i i know there is like a food workplace culture in japan where they everyone goes out together either after work or for lunch yeah so that that makes sense it's sad though it's a little sad proudly eat at your desk and watch some youtube yeah but also like it's not the same culture we live in i wish there was that level of independence yeah you know other cultures that might not have it that being said i I'm not a part of Japanese culture, yeah. so I'm just speaking out of my ass right now. Absolutely. Um, just from an American perspe- perspective, it kind of feels like a very outgoing person talking shit about a very uh, introverted person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are a few laws in Japan that are, like, disallowing toilet meals because oh. it is a problem of, like, if you leave wrappers, if you leave your food behind, if you, like, try to flush your food that can be a problem yeah um but it's difficult to enforce because you're alone in a bathroom stall you know yeah um this is very much like about this like fear people have of being seen as lonely because being lonely is one thing but being seen as lonely is another thing yeah Yeah. so yeah this is a phenomenon and i would say that this is a thing in america probably for different reasons but also, I've heard of people eating eating meals on the toilet, eating meals in the shower. Yeah, I, it's also pretty common to go into an American restaurant and see, like, one person eating. But I've seen yeah. within, like, the past month, someone eating by themselves. In a oh, restaurant. yeah. It's definitely more common to eat by yourself. But I, I think toilet meals are a thing. Maybe yeah. not as big of a thing, but um, a thing. Yeah. I know at least during work, I want to be alone during my lunch. You know, yeah. I don't want anyone to talk to me during my lunch. Yeah. So, well, cool. Toilet meals, huh? Toilet meals. Toilet meals. Yeah. So, Ray, you sent me a little article. To, uh, I did send you week. a little article. I actually forget what the article I sent to you was. Would you please enlighten me? <sighs> it's Spaghetti Tree Hoax. Do that you remember doesn't sound sp- like something I would send. Do you remember Spaghetti Tree Hoax? I would never send a Spaghetti Tree Hoax to you. <laughs> Here's what the Spaghetti Tree Hoax is. I'm sweaty. Um, yeah, it's warm as well. It's fucking warm. So the Spaghetti Tree Hoax was a hoax broadcast on April Fool's Day in 1957 done by the BBC. Um, I didn't know it was that big. That it was on the BBC? Yeah. Oh, just you wait. Um... So, the program showed a family in southern Switzerland harvesting spaghetti from the family's spaghetti tree. And there's pictures of this, of, like, a woman in, like, a dress or whatever with a basket, and she's pulling spaghetti from the tree and putting it in the basket. Um, I'm just thinking of, like, (laughs) spaghetti-stealing whores. (laughs) Oh, God help you if you understand that reference. (laughs) Um, so in the UK at the time, spaghetti spaghetti was 
pretty unknown. Um, and the majority of British people were unaware that it was just flour and water. Because it was, like, basically only known as being, like, a canned food. Like, spaghetti in a can. So, <laughs> after they broadcasted it, many viewers contacted the BBC for advice on growing their own spaghetti trees. Oh my god! Um, wait, yeah. wait. So they saw this, and not only were they like, wow, they have their own spaghetti tree? They were like, I need to plant one. Oh yeah. So, hey, Jeremy, do you have any, you have any those spaghetti oh, yeah, Jeremy, trees? Jeremy, we want some spaghetti. <laughs> I don't know why I'm giving her a Minnesota accent. <laughs> Immigrant. Um, in the documentary it was made really believable because they had a lot of really specific details um so like they they said that the family was gathering a bumper spaghetti harvest because they had a mild winter and there was a virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil (laughs) oh my god they showed footage of a traditional harvest festival and they there was a discussion of the breeding necessary to develop a strain that will produce the perfect spaghetti noodle length. That's amazing. Yeah. The creator, Charles de Jaeger, um, he came up with the story because his uh, teachers in school used to say uh, to like the stupid students that they, if they were told spaghetti grew on trees, they would believe it. And he was like, that's just crazy enough that it might work. Oh, my God. Um, apparently, he was given a budget of $100 to make the film. It's amazing. When was this? In 1957. I mean, $100 was a lot back then. Yeah, let me actually do... Or 100 pounds. Oh. So, in relative... The U.S. dollars, it was $3,804. What, what did you say? So, converting it to 2023 pounds and then the pounds to dollars, mm-hmm. it's about 3,804 USD. That's not terrible for, like, yeah. a little, little little thing. Yeah. Um, they also uh, hired a very, very respected broadcaster named Richard Dimbleby, which is a great British name. Dimbleby. Um, and he had such authority that um, he was, the, like, everyone was like, well, Richard Dimpleby is voicing it. <laughs> of course it's real. Is that, like, um, the guy who voiced March of the Penguins? Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch? No. No, that's a different Freeman? One. Morgan Freeman, yeah. Is he, like, the Morgan Freeman of Britain? I don't know. I don't know much about Richard, Richard Dimpleby. Imagine Morgan Freeman. He was the BBC's first war correspondent. And the leading TV news commentator at the time. Oh, wow. So it was like if, like, fucking, like, a CNN anchor was like, spaghetti grows on trees. <laughs> um, so at the time, 7 million of the 15.8 million homes in uh, England had television receivers. And an estimated 8 million people watched it. To go back to the people that asked about how to grow their own spaghetti spaghetti trees, when they called the BBC and they're like, how do I grow my own spaghetti trees? The BBC told them to place a sprig of spaghetti in a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. Not only, not only can you grow a spaghetti tree, 
it needs tomato sauce to grow. Mm-hmm. That's gold. And you need hope. You need your willpower. You need hope, love, and friends. Yeah. I love it. So that's the spaghetti tree hoax. Um, I love spaghetti tree hoax. I'm just imagining like Morgan Freeman voicing a nature documentary and being like, and now the the, the infamous spaghetti tree. Well, there's actually a, a hoax that I didn't cover that was a penguin hoax. <gasps> Where there was a fake documentary about flying penguins, and they like they like faked footage of flying penguins. Bro, yeah. Do you remember the like mermaid documentaries? Yeah, the very fake mermaid documentaries. So we're gonna make a quick stop in Russia um, for our, our next article. Lenin was a mushroom. So do you know? I remember reading that one in the last one. Yeah. Like off of the see also thing. Yeah. So do you know who Vladimir Lenin is? Yeah. Okay. Soviet Russian dictator. Guy. Soviet dictator. It was another highly influential televised hoax. And it was by uh, a musician and a reporter in um, 1991. And this is after the fall of the Soviet Union when free, free speech on like television and stuff was first reinstated right okay so in the fake documentary one of the quote-unquote historians uh said that vladimir lenin consumed uh large quantities of psychedelic mushrooms and eventually became (laughs) a mushroom and a radio wave and a radio he became a mushroom and a radio at the same time i there's no explanation. Well, was, there is an explanation. Apparently, there was just so it was just a long babble of bullshit and like fake facts and stuff and fake sources. They cited MIT, ancient aliens, <laughs> <laughs> um, and because the censorship had like you know gone back a little bit, there was less censorship. Um, there had been so many revelations in, you know, now Russia, previous Soviet Union, because there was no longer censorship where they were learning things about the outside world and about their own government for the first time, Mm -hmm. that they were like, this is the same level of crazy as learning about, you know, what America's really like or what the outside world is really like. This is believable. So that kind of feels (laughs) a little predatory. Yeah. Of, like, taking advantage of these people. It was, like, Soviet citizens. Yeah. So it wasn't, like, a random person from another country. But it is kind of questionable. 11.3 million audience members watched it. Um, and they, wow. Most of them took it at face value. So there were some scientists... That um, people were like, can you tell us if this is true or not? Can you tell us if these are facts? And a quote from one of the scientists said, Lenin could not have been a mushroom because a mammal cannot be a plant. End of quote. <laughs> um, what about um, Last of Us? Check and mate. Check and mate. Joel? Did he turn into a mushroom? No, I don't think so. He's just the first we character never finished I think that. We did I know he's alive for the second season. Um, But he's a zombie. So that's our brief pit stop in Russia. And now the main event. So. The main event? Oh, wow. 
So on my mission to find new articles, I was looking up hoaxes, and then I came upon a website called the Museum of Hoaxes, which has existed since like 2000, and it looks like it has existed from 2000, but is a very comprehensive library of hoaxes from um, like Middle Ages to the 21st century. I'm going to look it up. Okay. It looks like a... It looks like a, like, fandom wiki. Yeah, kind of. And I was just looking through their hoaxes. Get off the website so you don't spoil anything. Oh, okay, okay. So I was looking through the hoaxes, and I stumbled upon a, uh, an article on there called The Eruption of Mount Edgecombe. So, on April 1st of 1974, the residents of Sitka, Alaska, woke up to a bright, beautiful, clear morning, and they looked at their windows, and they saw that Mount Edgecombe, which has been dormant for 400 years had smoke rising from the top of it and they started freaking the fuck out they were like our houses are gonna be destroyed it's gonna erupt we're gonna die that's scary i'm kind of dramatizing but um so they ran out of their houses and they like looked up at the volcano i can send you a picture the best picture of what it looked like um it's very believable i mean i don't live anywhere near mountains and i never have but to me, someone who lives in flatland, it looks like perhaps a smoking volcano. The Coast Guard ordered a helicopter be sent to investigate the volcano. And as the Coast Guard pilot approached the mountain, he saw in the cone of the volcano where, you know, it would be erupting, burning was a huge pile of tires and spray painted in the snow next to the tires was a fifty uh, in fifty foot high black letters were the words April Fools. That's silly. So, the guy who did it was fifty year old Oliver Porky Bicar. I'm gonna call him Porky because that's a silly name. So he had the idea in 1971 to fake this, and he collected seventy tires that he kept in an air- airplane hangar, and it took him three years to decide to do it. Because the visibility conditions weren't right until 1974. This man committed to the fucking bit. He did. He was like, they won't be able to see it in town. I need to wait another year. And he waited until 1974. So when he woke up on April 1st, apparently he looked at his window. He looked at his wife, Patty, and said, I have to do it today. And she, she replied, just don't make an ass of yourself. So even though he prepared the tires, he didn't... Um, prepare a helicopter to take the tires up because it's a mountain. Um, So he phoned his friend Earl Walker um, and he agreed to take a helicopter. And then he secured the assistance of his friends who are all part of a group called the Dirty Dozen in town. Oh my gosh, my grandparents are part of a group called the Dirty Dozen. Really? Oh, that's fun. So as they waited for the helicopter, they like put the tires into canvas slings and then they attached it to the helicopter when it came up, and they took along smoke bombs, several ga- several gallons of kerosene, and some rags, and they headed out to the crater. And then after the helicopter dropped the first load of tires into the crater, um, Porky got out and began like painting the words "April Fools," at, and then the chopper kept bringing back the tires, and then they lit them on fire and headed home. But good news, they had taken the precaution and they notified uh, the FAA. Uh, and the police of what they were doing. But they didn't notify the Coast Guard, 
which is why they went out and to find what it was because they were the only group that wasn't notified. Apparently, when they told the FAA, the radio traffic controller told them, you have clearance, and by the way, the son of a gun looks fantastic. So apparently, everyone thought it was hilarious. Like, everyone. Even the people in town. I'm glad they didn't take it badly. Yeah, even the Coast Guard wasn't mad. Um, So Porky met the admiral that was in charge that day, years later, at a party, um, and he was, like, afraid the Admiral was going to yell at him, but, uh, instead, instead the Admiral said he thought it was a classic prank. Which That's is, good. I love Porky. We're going to learn a little bit more about Porky because I love him. Yeah. Kind of sweet that these people, like, they could have taken that really badly. Oh, yeah. So in 1980, Mount St. Helens, uh, in California actually erupted and... <laughs> An attorney in Denver uh, sent him a picture of Mount St. Helens erupting and sent it to Porky and and wrote on the back of it, this time, you little bastard, you've gone too far. He actually erupted it. Yeah. Um, so that was the article. But then there's comments underneath. And all these comments are from 2004 to like 2006. And a lot of them are from people that were there. Someone said that um, they were there in 1974 when they were 12 years old um, and Porky's wife was their algebra teacher. And apparently Porky got a $50 fine for the prank. Or he said Porky got a $50 fine. Mm -hmm. And he said Porky and his boys like to throw dynamite in the lake off their boat. (laughs) That's the most Alaska thing I've ever (laughs) heard. Yeah. Going out fishing on a Sunday. All the like, Al- all the Alaskans in the comments are like, Porky's our boy. We love Porky. Someone said, sorry, this is Patty Bickar, which is Porky's wife, commented, I took my study hall out so they could watch. She was a teacher and said, someone had commented about pollution above her. And she said, um... Uh, no one can smell it from Sitka, and it took a hundred tires to make that much smoke. And then someone else commented, "Tough, this is Alaska. We get a lot more pollution from the cruise ships," which is true. And then she also said that the prison matron, there's a prison in town, she was getting phone calls that that was happening. And uh, every time she would get a call, apparently she would just pick up the phone and say, look at your calendar and slam the phone back down because she got so many calls. It was April 1st. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then here's some other pranks Porky did. He fooled tourists by putting pulling up large rocks painted gold and yelling that he'd struck pay dirt. Um, there was a metal sculpture of a moose at Swan Lake. And on April 1st, one year, he paint, he replaced it with a similar metal sculpture of someone roasting meat over a fire. That's so silly. Apparently, he also put plastic flamingos in trees for the tour boats that were looking for wildlife in the area. I like that. Yeah. That's silly. And then the last comment says that one year, he called up the local radio talk show and he announced that it was on April 1st again. And he announced that the shop was having a big chainsaw sale. One for the price of two, and then um, he this guy ran down to a shop, bought two, was going to buy two chainsaws, and then looked down at the price and realized that the price had been doubled. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, 
Porky's story. I just was reading this and I was like, oh, that's funny. And as I kept scrolling, I was like, I love this guy. I love this guy. I love this guy. There's one picture of him, but he's kind of scary because it's a photo from the 70s. Um, so it's just pure black and white, terrifying smile into the camera. Oh, God. The exposure on that shit. Yeah. It looks like there's like a figure in the background. The ghost of Porky. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. There's a better picture of him showing off a chainsaw. Yo. <laughs> that looks like somebody put a filter over it. A little bit, yeah. But I feel like somebody put a filter over that. Maybe, but also this was published. I don't know. I feel like the person doing this wouldn't. It's like a middle-aged man doing this website. But I just, I love Porky and I just want to talk about him for a bit. Apparently he's passed away, but um, people that visit the town um, meet his wife sometimes and she talks about him and all the bullshit that he did. Yeah, I personally think dragging 70 tires to the top of a volcano and lighting them on fire is a pretty good prank. Yeah. 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 That's the episode. We, because we have been choosing themes for the episode, we made a wheel of themes because um, we we couldn't decide on what to do. Um, and we were like, what if we just do a wheel for it? So we're going to choose a theme now. And then when we come back in the next episode, we're going to have articles. And you're not going to know what articles they are. Science. Science. Just like Bill Nye. The theme is science. Thank you for listening to this silly, goofy, funny episode. Make sure to um, rate us on whatever platform you're on. Um, Leave a comment. Um, If you haven't listened to some of our other episodes, we have four other episodes right now. Um, I think they're all pretty cool. While you're waiting for the next episode to come out, which will be coming out on august 31st you can follow us at wormhole.podcast uh on um tiktok and on instagram and you can follow us at wormhole-podcast on tumblr awesome yeah also our music oh yeah is in the middle of the day by lundstrom we love you lundstrom we love you lundstrom we don't know who you are but we love you the next episode we're bugs baby we're gonna be bugs we're gonna be creeping and crawling we're creeping and crawling we uh oh a scientist made us into worms and beetles and and critters crawling oh critters. man not again oh not again oh shit oh here we go uh... Shh.